Let's take our Bibles and turn over to Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. While you're turning there, Psalm 27, verse 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. You know, most of us, if not all of us, have waited in the doctor's office, in what is called the waiting room. You sit there for what seems like an eternity, only to keep looking at your watch and finding out only five minutes has passed. But when you're in a waiting room, five minutes seems like five hours. No one likes to wait for anything. We don't want to wait in line. We don't want to wait for service. We don't want to wait for our food. What we want, we want and we want it now. And therefore, as believers, when we're commanded to wait on the Lord, we bristle at that. When we're commanded to wait on the Lord, we don't like it. When we're told to wait on the Lord, we just want to skip that and reject it. Because we're not built for waiting. We want to take matters into our own hands, and we want to follow our own plans. The command to wait on the Lord is found extensively throughout both the Old and the New Testament. Waiting on the Lord is holding on tight. It's hoping with expectation and trust. Knowing that the Lord is not just making us wait to see how long we can take it. To be honest, there are times when we wait and God seemingly is delaying His answer. And we will even come to the place where we'll begin to wonder why God seems so reluctant to intervene in our affairs. And we're not the first people to feel this. We're not the first group of believers to struggle with having to wait. With being stuck in a situation that we don't control or we have no command over. In the book of Psalms, in verse 69 and verse 3, the psalmist says, I am worn out. Calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had a, a situation in your life, maybe even the current things that are going on in the world around us, and you, you, you are crying out for help? You're praying to God. You're overwhelmed. You don't know what to think. You don't know what to believe. And God has you in a waiting pattern. Maybe your throat is parched for crying so much. Maybe your eyes are weary looking for God so much. And yet, we, by knowing the Lord, can trust that He will come through at the perfect moment. Not a second too soon, and not a second too late. And despite our impatience, despite our dislike for it, waiting is a vital element in life. Indeed, waiting has a number of benefits that we'll discuss later. As we come to Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, we're going to read in just a moment. But I want to set the scene. Israel has just fled from Egypt. Everything seems to be going their way. They seemingly don't have a care in the world as far as their oppressor goes. And so they journey through the day, they journey through the night, and now they've come to the Red Sea. 
There's this tremendous body of water in front of them. And they have to wait. How are we going to get across? What are we going to do? But what made it even more stressful, what made it even more difficult, was the fact that they turned around and they now see the Egyptian army pursuing them. Imagine if you were in their sandals between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, a Red Sea, no boats, no canoes, no ships, nothing. How will they cross it? And yet behind them is the Egyptian army bearing down on them. And their response at first was to pray. Anxious prayers nonetheless, but praying they did do. But soon they stopped praying. And they began to respond by complaining to Moses and about Moses. The longer the situation seemed to draw on, the longer they waited between the Red Sea on the one hand and the pursuing Egyptian army on the other hand, their minds began running amok. That probably has happened to all of us at some point or another. Maybe even in the current situation with the, with the current uh, 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 news that we're dealing with every day. Maybe your minds have been running amok. You hear this report, you hear that report. And then the conspiracy theories begin. Conspiracy theories are nothing new. When people are in that waiting pattern, when people are stuck in a situation they can't control, when people are in a situation where they don't have answers, they don't have all the information... Their minds are running amok. They begin dreaming up wild conspiracy theories. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. Maybe even some of you have already done that. Maybe you're sitting there in, in, in your home. You're logging onto the internet. You're searching and Googling. You're coming up with all kinds of wild ideas as to what may be happening. The white hats, deep state, and on and on it goes with more and more conspiracy theories and nonsense. And believe me, my friends, it's exactly what it is, nonsense. And this is exactly what we see the Israelites doing. Moses, you brought us out here to die. Now, at what point did Moses ever talk about bringing them out there to die? None. At no point did Moses say, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to take you. Well, see, that's why he wouldn't tell us. He wouldn't tell us what's really going on. He's just telling us what we want to hear. Oh, he's going to take us to the promised land. Oh, what a fine job of taking us to the promised land. He's now got us up against the Red Sea on one side, and he's got the Egyptian army bearing down on us from the other side. He's brought us out here to die. Then it goes further to tell us, they say it would have been better to have been left in Egypt. Now, I know it's easy to sit back and criticize the Jews. But I challenge you to examine your own heart. How much disappointment, how much discomfort does it take before you become unhappy with the Lord's will so that you stop trusting in Him, stop believing in Him, 
and start complaining. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 tells us we're to walk by faith, not by sight. What you see is not always what God is doing. God works in mysterious ways, as the saying goes. God is doing above and beyond far more than we can ever think or imagine. And so it requires faith, yes, to trust God. It requires faith to let go of trying to control the situation, of trying to figure it out, of trying to manage it. It takes faith to let God be in control and be on the throne. And my friends, I'll tell you, when you forget God's promises, you start to imagine the worst possible scenarios. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've already begun to think, boy, this is never going to end. We're going to be like this for weeks, for months, for years. It's the end of our world. It's the apocalypse. And on and on people go. Weeping, complaining. My friends, I'm going to tell you something. None of that is going to help you get out of this predicament. All the weeping, all the crying, all the complaining, all the worst case possible scenario is not going to help you get out of this predicament. And I'll tell you something. It comes from unbelief. Now, hey, listen, we all struggle with unbelief, by the way. That's why we have that verse of Scripture, Lord, help my unbelief. We all have our moments where, where we battle our own unbelief. We all have those moments where we're not trusting God as we ought to. We all have those moments where we're doubting, just like the disciples there in the upper room. We always blame Thomas. We call him the doubting one, but yet they all doubt it. Women came and said, he's risen. They didn't believe it. They doubt it. Jesus appeared in their midst and they still didn't believe it. They still doubt it. My friends, sometimes that's exactly where we find ourselves. When we're weeping and complaining and imagining worst possible scenarios, that's our unbelief rearing its head. Because faith obeys God. Faith brings glory to God. Faith trusts that God works all things out for His glory and our good. As Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Right now we're in a situation where we're still. The pause button's been hit, if you will. What a good time to know who God is. Coming back to Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Moses responds, and this is Moses' response to the children of Israel. He says, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians... Whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you 
keep silent. As we think about waiting on the Lord, there's three thoughts that I want to draw from verses 13 and 14. Three aspects of waiting on the Lord. Because that's exactly what he just told the children of Israel. Don't fear, stand by, or wait, and see the salvation of the Lord by which he will accomplish for you today. It's exactly what Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. There's the idea of don't fear. Yes, wait for the Lord. And so I want to look at three aspects of waiting for the Lord that all of us can apply, all of us should apply, need to apply, must apply. Whether it's in the situation that we're currently dealing with or whatever situation that life may bring to you in the future. You're going to have times where you're going to be in a situation, you're going to be up against a scenario, a circumstance beyond your control, and you're going to have to wait on the Lord. So what does that look like? Well, that's why I want to show you three aspects of waiting on the Lord. One aspect of waiting on the Lord is detainment. One aspect of waiting on the Lord is detainment. He said, don't fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which you will accomplish for you today. In Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6, the psalmist wrote these words, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. The psalmist was comparing waiting on the Lord to the night guards of the city. The night guards of the city watched the passage of time in anticipation of the coming dawn when they would be released from duty. I'm sure you've all been there. You're on the job. You're done at 3 o'clock or you're done at 5 o'clock or whatever time you're done. But you're sitting there and it's now 1.30. And it is about to be, if you're off at 3, it's about to be the slowest hour and a half of your life. Finally it's 2 o'clock. And now it be dry, time begins to drag a little bit more. It seems like, boy, the day really flew by, but this last hour, this last hour and a half is seemingly dragging by. You're watching the passage of time. You're anticipating the coming of dawn, or in this case, the clock to strike three so that you can leave work. Be released from your duty. Now those night guardsmen, they waited for dawn. And dawn was certain, but they had to wait. They were detained. They were stuck where they were at until the dawn rose and the next set of guards came out to relieve them. But we live in an I want it now generation. And many of us have been infected by that philosophy, I want it now. And we need to understand and accept the fact that waiting on the Lord always involves the passage of time, but it means much, much more. You see, waiting on God doesn't just take time, 
It means that God is going to detain you. He's going to detain you. He is going to place you in a place, in a position where you are fearful. And then he's going to tell you, do not fear, but stand by. Again, look at Israel. Everything's going great. They're leaving Egypt. They've got all the gold of Egypt in their saddlebags. And they're on their way. And now they're stopped. There's a sea in front of them. Okay, we can figure that out. We'll come up with a plan. Now all of a sudden they don't have time for plans because the Egyptian army is behind them and pursuing them and getting closer and closer as each second, each minute ticks by. And now they are detained. They have nowhere to go. They're fearful. And Moses says, do not fear but stand by. Now the command there, do not fear, simply don't be afraid. This is not something to be afraid of. But I'll tell you something, friends. There's good fear. There's good fear. We should have a fear of God. That's a reverence for God, a respect for God. There's the fear that God built into us that protects us. Like if you see something dangerous... There's a certain level of fear that, oh, well, I'm not going to go put myself in that situation. If I see a venomous snake, I'm not going to walk over, at least a common sense person, somebody who's logical is not just going to walk up to a poisonous snake and say, oh, good morning, Mr. Snake. Can I grab you? No, you have an innate sense of fear that says, I need to stay away. I need to flee. I need to go the other way. And if snakes aren't your thing, figure out something else that you're afraid of. You have that fight or flight response. That's, that's what God created you with. But this fear is not that. This fear is not a reverence for God. This fear is being afraid because you have no control over a situation. And when that kind of fear grips you, it will energize you. Oh yeah. Your mind will start running 100 miles an hour. You'll start trying to come up with every scenario possible. And then it will paralyze you and you won't know what to do. You know the enemy is in pursuit. You hear the wind blowing. And you're wondering what is going to happen. Why is God taking so long? Can you imagine? Now we, we know what the Israelites were, were, where they were at. We know the rest of the story. We knew that... During the night, an east wind blew, God sent, and it caused the Red Sea to part, and it blew all through the night so that when they walked across the sea, uh, the waters were parted, they walked across on dry ground. We know that. But they didn't. Do you think any of them slept well that night? Do you think any of them laid down and were totally chill and just... Didn't have a care in the world? I would say probably not. I would say probably the great majority, if not the, all of them, but a select few, were wide awake all night long, peering into the darkness to see where the Egyptians were at, and listening to that east wind blow, blow, blow. And they're paralyzed with fear. They don't know what to do. 
My friends, when we have faith in God's promises, we have peace in our hearts. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, Mark 440, Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. Storm comes up out of nowhere. Little little ship is being tossed here and there and about. And the disciples are overwhelmed with fear to the point. Now, these are fishermen, folks. These are people that have been out on the sea at night. They've dealt with storms before. But there's something about this storm that even they are terrified of. And Jesus asks them, why are you so fearful? Well, there's a storm, Lord. We're going to die, Lord. And then he calms the storm. And notice his question. Mark 4.40 How is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? Now, on one hand, that's got to make you feel good. These cats, these 12 cats, up and down the highways and byways of Israel with Jesus Christ. They've seen water turn to wine. They've seen fish spit up money. They've seen the blind healed, the lame healed, the deaf healed, the mute healed, people raised from the dead. They've seen it all. And yet now there's this little storm brewing. Well, to them it was a big storm, obviously. And they're fearful. They're afraid. They're not trusting God. There's no, their, their faith is weak. They're exhibiting unbelief. And my friends, you see, we, ought, we have to grab, grasp and grapple with the fact here that faith and fear cannot live together in the same heart. One will destroy the other. Faith is going to win or fear is going to win. They cannot exclusively live within you at the same time. True faith depends on what God says, not on what you see and not on what you feel. It's been well said that faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. My friends, that's nothing more than superstition. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. That's superstition. No, it's we obey God in spite of the consequence. Now that's faith. We're just going to keep obeying God in spite of what the circumstances or situations or consequences may be. So he says, again, going back to Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13, do not fear. Then he says, don't be afraid. Now, stand by. Now the word stand by means to take a stand. Okay. It means to passively and quietly await for deliverance. Now that's an interesting word, isn't it? Stand by. You know, you, you've heard the phrase, uh, you know, stand by, you know, you're waiting a transmission, okay? You know, or back in the day, you would turn on the television early in the morning, and this is before 24-hour television, and, uh, you know, you'd have the uh, multicolored uh, uh, screen, and uh, it would say, please stand by before the transmissions began for the day. Well, that's exactly what we have here. Please stand by. Be passive. 
Ooh, you know what that means? Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to plan. Stop trying to scheme. Stop trying to outthink it. Stop trying to overthink it. Stop trying to do whatever you think you have to do to get a control of the situation because you don't have any control of the situation. It's passively and quietly. Now let's keep your mouth shut. Keep your opinions to yourself. Now, if you want to say something, give a word of encouragement to people. These people out there on Facebook and, and on the internet and stopping by and seeing people and coming up with these crazy conspiracy theories, this, that, and the other, but they're not, that's not glorifying God. And when Christians are doing that, I've got to tell you something. They're robbing God of glory. You say, well, how's that? Because God has given them, just like he's given you and me, an opportunity to stand by and to watch God work. We may never know the truth of any situation, but you know this, God's in control. He's still on the throne. He hasn't abdicated. He wasn't caught unawares. He's not caught off guard. He knew the Red Sea was there. He knew the Egyptians were going to pursue them. He already had the plan in play. So he tells them to be passive and be quiet. Keep your opinions to yourself. Stop with your crazy conspiracy theories. Stop with your complaining. Stop with, with your picking at Moses. And wait for deliverance from God. Being still means that you cease from following your own agenda, your own ingenuity. You stop trusting in your strength and your will and your power. When you're waiting on the Lord, you stop trusting in your strength and you start exchanging your weaknesses for His strength. But see, that, 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 that requires some introspection, doesn't it? It requires us looking at ourselves and saying, hey, here's an area I'm weak at, and that's okay. It's okay, you know, it, nothing in the scripture says that you've got to be strong and not have any area of weakness. If you don't think you've got an area of weakness, I got news for you, you have deceived yourself. Everybody's got some area of weakness. Now, that's not to say, well, you know, that's just my weakness, I can't control it. No, what you need to do is you need to exchange that weakness for God's strength. Lord, help my unbelief. You know, in the context of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which we're referring to here about uh, exchanging our weakness for His strength, when Paul wrote that, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Now, he doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. We think that the thorn in the flesh had something to do with his eyesight. And his eyesight problem would have gone back to the situation there on the road to Emmaus. Now certainly his eyes were healed, but the belief is there was some ongoing difficulty that had uh, been left over from seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus. If that was his thorn, fine. If not, that's okay too. Because what we do know is this, that Paul understood the thorn in the flesh. He prayed, Lord, take this thorn away from me. Three times he prayed, take this thorn from me. 
But he finally understood, and he gained, this is where he gained spiritual insight, when he simply resolved himself to the fact that his thorn in the flesh, his current affliction, was what we'll call a protective suffering to keep him from sin. God placed this protective suffering in his life to keep him from sin. And the sin that, that involved was pride. Paul had a pride problem. I mean, think about it. You're the Pharisee of Pharisees. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. Man, he's got the stock. Okay? He's named after the former king, King Saul. And with all the knowledge that he had, it wouldn't be hard for him to think more highly of himself. So the Lord says, well, I'm going to keep you humble. So I'm going to put a little protective suffering in your life to keep you humble. And that's what he did. God didn't remove his thorn at that time. Rather, he let Paul bear with it. And then Paul learned how to be still and how to wait on the Lord. You see, waiting on the Lord involves being at rest in the Lord. Waiting on the Lord, when, you've, when, you're, when you're detained, when you've got to wait, here the best thing you can do is rest. Psalm 23 provides a lesson concerning being still. Sheep will be at peace near calm, still water. Sheep are never at peace near rushing water. And that's why he says he leads us beside still water. Psalm 23 verse 2. And then he makes me lie down. Literally, he causes me to rest. That's what he wants you to do. You mean God wants me to rest when the world is out of control? God wants me to rest? Yes. If he's got you detained, if God's got you in a place where you can't move, where you're stuck, where you can't change or control the situation, and God says, now's the time for you to rest. Rest in me. Rest in the Lord. Trust your good and great shepherd. Now, that doesn't mean you sit idly by and do nothing. We should continue to work. Continue to do what he has given you to do. Psalm 123 verse 2 says, Behold, as the eyes of the servant... Look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. We should look to God with anticipation. We should look to God with willingness to serve him because he is our Lord and master. He may have you in a detainment. He may have you in a waiting pattern. He may have you in a holding pattern. He may have you on standby. But you can still serve Him. You may have to find creative ways to serve Him. You may have to uh, find different areas in which you can serve Him. But you can still be serving Him. So the first aspect of waiting on the Lord is detainment. When God has you detained, that's when He wants you to wait on Him. Second aspect of waiting on the Lord is dependence. Dependence. Moses says in Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14, See the salvation of the Lord. See, waiting on the Lord necessitates two key elements. If you're waiting on the Lord, you're going to have a complete dependence on God, number one. And number two, there's going to be a willingness to allow Him to decide the terms and timing of His plan. I'll say that again. 
Waiting on the Lord necessitates two key elements. Number one, a complete dependence on God. That's what we are just talking about. Number two, a willingness to allow Him to decide the terms and timing of His plan. That's dependence, my friends. Depending on God to handle the timing and terms of the plan is one of the hardest things to do. When we come back to that term, wait. My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him, Psalm 62, verse 5. That word, wait, carries the idea of confident expectation and hope. So while you're detained, while you're waiting, you are supposed to have a confident expectation about what? That God is in control and He is going to work out all things for His glory and the good of His people. And hope. Hope does not disappoint. Romans 5, 5 says, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, if you wait for God to keep His promises, you will not be disappointed. Let me give you some passages. Psalm 52, verse 8 and 9. Psalm 52, verse 8 and 9. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly one. Notice what he said there. I'm a green olive tree in the house of God. Why? Because he's waiting on God. His name is good. His character is good. He's not disappointed. Psalm 62 verse 1 and verse 5. My soul waits in silence. There's that word silence. For God only. From him is my salvation. That takes us right back to what Moses said. See the salvation of the Lord. You can't see the salvation of God. You can't see God's deliverance if you're running to your mouth and your minds are running amok and you haven't taken the time to rest. You haven't taken the time to sit down. You haven't taken the time to wait. You're not going to see the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7 and 9. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. And the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. There are blessings upon blessings for those who wait on the Lord. But waiting on the Lord is resting in the Lord. It's depending on the Lord. As Psalm 39 verse 7 says, Now Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Where is the psalmist's hope? It's in the who and the what of the Lord. Now the question that always comes into our minds when we're detained, when we're in that waiting period, is what am I going to do with this waiting time, this, this detainment, or whatever word you want to apply there? What am I going to do? Do I simply sit back and do nothing? Well, let's be clear. 
The answer is yes and no. You say, I thought you wanted to be clear. Absolutely. That's why I said the answer is both yes and no. Do we sit back and do nothing? Yes. Sit back and don't sin. Sit back and don't fret. Sit back and don't worry. Sit back and wait. Now, on the other hand, do we sit back and do nothing? The answer is no. Endure. Be of good courage. Serve the Lord. Do what you can do. The one thing you can do is seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Lamentation 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. You know, when you enter God's waiting room, we're not, you're not just, I'm not just there to sit as I would sit in the doctor's office. We're supposed to be seeking Him. So as you're detained and coming to terms with having to depend on God, here's what you can do. Spend time in God's Word studying Seeking answers and claiming God's promises. Here's something else you can do. Take time in prayer. Pray about the issues. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. And here's a third thing you can do. Take some time and meditate on who God is. Meditate on who God is. Meditate on what God wants you to do. What He wants to do through you. And as you're doing that meditation, examine and evaluate your motives, your attitudes, your values, your priorities, your goals and objectives in life. Time in His Word, studying, time in prayer, praying, time meditating on who God is. That's what you can be doing. My friend, I want to say something. When you don't choose to wait on the Lord, when you don't choose to depend on God, I got news for you. You are begging for trouble. Abraham and Sarah did not wait on the Lord for the child of promise. No, no. Instead, they came up with a plan. Sarah offered her maid Hagar to Abraham in order to have a child through her. And Abraham agreed. He got on board with the plan. And my friends, their impatience, their failure to depend on God in their detainment time is still causing trouble today. When you and I fail to wait on the Lord, when we take matters into our own hands, even if we think we're trying to bring about something God wants, it will always lead to problems. Lamentation says, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him, and to that Christ says in Matthew 6.33, we are to seek first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what you need to do. If you're waiting on the Lord, if you're in a place of detainment, you're learning how to depend on God, well, it means here's what you can do. Seek His kingdom. Above all else, seek His kingdom and His righteousness. You let God work out the rest of the details. God said, I've got salvation on the horizon. I've got, I've got deliverance on the horizon, but you've got to wait. You may have to go through the night. You've got to wait, but I will deliver. Then finally, we have our third aspect of waiting on the Lord, and that is defense. Defense. First aspect was detainment. 
The second aspect was dependence. And the third aspect of waiting on the Lord is defense. You see, the opposite of waiting and resting by faith is turning to our solutions of self-protection out of anger, fear, and jealousy. We fret, we moan, we groan, we withdraw, we run from the problem, or we try to control the problem. We call attention to ourselves, we bolster up our feelings of inadequacy, or we try to defend ourselves against the comments of others. Maybe it's the fear of failure or the fear of loss, but we may even compromise our convictions or what we know is right. That's what happens when you let fear displace faith. In the Lord. I said a moment ago, there's that battle going on between faith and fear. When fear wins, you're leaning on the arm of flesh. Moses says to the people back in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord's going to fight for you. He's going to accomplish something for you today. See, when you wait on the Lord, when I wait on the Lord, we're resting in the confident assurance that regardless of the details or the difficulties, God is never going to leave us without a sure defense. They got the Red Sea on in front of them. They got the army behind them. And he says, I'll fight for you. You just be still. I'll tell you, my friends, we gain a heavenly perspective When we focus not on the trouble, no, when we focus on the Lord and His Word, then we'll get a heavenly perspective. Man, you keep focusing on the trouble, you're never going to see the end from the beginning. You're going to be in a constant uproar, a constant turmoil, a constant worry, a constant fret. You need to set aside your human viewpoints and you need to wait on the Lord to show His power and His purpose. The command to wait on the Lord means that we are to be near Him and attentive so that we can catch the slightest intimation of what He wants for us. Oh, my friends, listen, we we are a self-sufficient people in our own minds. In our own minds. We turn here, we turn there. We expect help from our own ability, from our friends or from our circumstances. But I'll tell you, sometimes you come to the end of the the road and you realize friends, circumstances, and even your own ability will fail you. You got to stop trusting yourself and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Waiting on the Lord involves the confident expectation of a positive result that can only be realized by the actions of God. This expectation cannot be based on knowledge or trust, or you simply won't wait. Listen, if you're trying to, if you, well, I'll trust God, but I need to know what's going on. I'll, I need to know this, and I need to know that. No, you don't need to know anything, like God says. You don't need to know nothing. You just need to know, wait on me. Be still. I will preserve you. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will fight for you. Now, my friends, if you don't know the Lord, then you're not waiting on Him. But you who do know the Lord, heed the command. Wait on Him. And when you do, He'll be your defense. He'll come to your aid. He'll fight for you. He'll take up the cause. 
We must be confident of who God is and what He is capable of doing. And my friends, if you're waiting on the Lord, and, and anybody who has ever waited on the Lord will not lose heart in their prayer. Instead, their prayer will be this in 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. What a blessed promise. You ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. Now Psalm 106 verses 13 to 15 provides us some insight on the area of waiting on the Lord. And I wanted to look at that text because it ties directly back to Exodus 14. And we would be remiss not to look at Psalm 106, 13 to 15 to show you what happens when you don't wait on the Lord. The text reads, Psalm 106, verse 13, beginning verse 13, The waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. Isn't that exactly what God said? Listen, you trust me, you wait on me, and I'll, listen, I'll get you across that sea, and you'll never see another one of these guys ever. Well, that's exactly what happened. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. Okay, that's great. They waited on the Lord, they got through the night, God delivered them the next day. Boy, they're praising God, they're glorifying God, that's wonderful. Notice the next statement. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but he sent them a wasting disease among them. See, there's the warning, folks. Waiting on God is a good thing. But my friends... If just because you waited for God in one situation doesn't mean you can't wait for God in another. Now, I know many of you have waited on God in the past. You've been up against some situation, some circumstance, some power beyond yours where you were forced to wait on God. And you came through it. God delivered you. Yes, He detained you. You depended on Him and He defended you. Well, you need to continue to do the same. Don't forget what God has done in the past. They quickly forgot his works. Friends, we cannot, even in the midst of this current situation, we cannot forget what God has done in the past and what God can do again. They lost focus on the mighty works of God, the mighty deeds of God. What was that? Well, let's start with delivering them in Egypt through the Passover lamb, then out of Egypt by God's power at, Red, at the Red Sea, and then on into the wilderness in one great event after another. And all of the things that God did for them showed them that God was a loving, gracious, powerful God who is committed to His people. And my friends, that's what we have to remember right now. That God is still a loving, gracious, powerful God who's committed to His people. What happened? Well, they forgot all the Lord had done. The word forgot there, shakach, means they became oblivious to what God had done. How sad. They lost their focus on the Lord, and they lost their focus because why? They failed to wait on God's counsel. Now before we end this, I need to take a moment and remind you of Psalm 145, verse 14 to 16. It says, The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of the Lord, excuse me, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. 
You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. I said at the beginning, there's some benefits to waiting on the Lord. One benefit is that he'll sat- it will, waiting on the Lord will satisfy and sustain you. Secondly, it will strengthen and enable you. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get weary. They'll walk and not faint. Three, it will lift you out of despair and cause you to praise God. Psalm 40, verse 2, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. Put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and will trust in the Lord. Do you see things seem out of control to you? Probably. Then wait on the Lord. Wait on God as the Almighty, God the Most High, God the Sovereign One. Wait on the Lord as the One who will provide. Wait according to His timing and His purpose. And my friends, when you do, you'll get through this period of detainment. You'll come out depending on the Lord more than you ever had. You will see when you look back how God has defended you. And then, my friends, as we said, it will satisfy you and sustain you. It will strengthen and enable you. It will lift you up out of despair and cause you to praise Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time to look at your word this morning, the time to go through this text and to consider these things about waiting. Father, we we confess that none of us like to wait. Waiting is not what we do well, but yet it is what you have deemed as good for us. And so, Father, I pray to that end that you might help each of us to not be afraid, but to be still, to be quiet, to be passive, and wait, to rest in you. And as we do that, Lord, Help us to learn to be more dependent upon you, how to turn to you, how to cry out to you. And then, Lord, let us sit back and watch how you defend us. Father, I pray for those here, Lord, that may be struggling, they're fearful, they're overwhelmed, they're mentally exhausted, they're stressed out, whatever it may be. That God, you come alongside of them. Give them that peace that only you can give. That, Lord, they may know that you're there and that they can wait because you will fight for them. We pray in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.